Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth to all of my listeners. Uh, uh, Joining us from Hohata, Georgia, but that's spelled C-O-H-U-T-T-A, Georgia. Uh, You don't pronounce that C-O. Is Dr. Craig Thayer. And Craig has written a new book uh, that's just been released. And I think you can all see this. It says, Saved. And one trauma surgeon's true accounts of the miracles of his life. Excellent book for everybody. Uh, I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you, Craig. Um, Craig's life is a study of God in the ordinary. Lovingly adopted at nine months. He used his favor uh, to swim competitively, play water polo, He's a graduate from UC Davis School of Medicine, and he started a private practice. He has held the noble positions of surgeon, review committee chair, chief of staff, and trauma medical director, and created a trauma center. Uh, He shares his stories in this book to teach people to see the miracles right in front of them. And I always said, it's kind of like the miracles are right in front of you. It's like the old... Uh, saying acres of diamonds. You know, people yep. are are searching yep. all over the place to try and find something, and it's right in front of their nose. Um, you know, Craig, good day to you. Thank, Thank you. you for being on. I'm and, honored to be here. Well, I'm honored to have someone like yourself because it brings a new perspective. I always love getting different perspectives, uh, whether it's issues of spirituality or it's issues of wellness and health. And I think you can address both of those um, yes. and issues that we're all dealing with as a human species, right? Um, sure. That we're all confused about many times. We're confused because we haven't found clarity or we're not listening to that inner voice, that intervention from God, that intervention from a higher spirit. So what inspired you to write Saved? And what was the primary goal in writing this book? That again, I'm going to hold back up for my listeners. That's kind of a drawing of Craig. That's actually yeah, it's him. cartoonized. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very well done. Um, so, why'd you write it? The primary goal of writing it, and what do you want the listeners to get out of it? So, uh, you know, my grandmother, uh, who I uh, would call Gigi because she's a great grandmother to our kids. I have five. Um, she just told me for 15 years I'd take her to Sacramento Kings games. And uh, you need to write this book to inspire people, give hope, unify. Um, and, and it really couldn't have been written that, that soon because once she needed to pass, I think, because she left two miracles behind, which were in the dedication of the book. Um, and that was August 7th of 2021. So, uh, and then the, the, um, Again, the second reason was in the very last chapter, uh, titled Ralph, who was a friend of mine, and his death is just profound. If you don't read the book, read that last chapter because it will give you hope. I, I think it will, you know, we all think. So we wonder, is there a higher power? How did we get here? Why are we here? What's, do we have a purpose? All those things. And so, you know, I found faith in, in Jesus and Christianity. So that was part of the mandate of my, being adopted by a, a Catholic mom. So, and she was uh, Irish Catholic as they come born in Ireland and uh, came over when she was 21. So, uh, so Catholicism has played a big role in 
Yeah, yeah. But nowadays, I would say more evangelic and um, non-denominational, just to be more unifying. Um, There's always Catholic jokes about, you know, which I won't go over, but they're, (laughs) yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. So it's just, you know, I think being more into the Bible and reading it for its content, and, again, it's either in um, Hebrew or Aramaic in the Old Testament or Greek in the New with some Aramaic quotes from Jesus. But, um, yeah, to to actually study and keep an open mind. That's the way I was brought up. So um, I was just blessed to have – I would always give my dad credit to make me think about the way I was behaving, treating my mom. I'd always, always argue with her. But really, my mom was the sounding board. And so I would argue one point one direction one week and the next be the opposite. And that I'm sure drove her crazy. But, um, she, well, do it really, being uh, the profession that you've been in and finding God in the ordinary, you say in, in the circle of the book there, you know, I've had many discussions with people about, um, their finitude lately. Don't ask me why, but, um, I think people since COVID have been thinking about it more. Um, we obviously saw a lot of people die during uh, the pandemic. Yes. And you've seen a lot of people pass. And in passing, you've seen some go with tremendous, like, don't let me go. They're afraid. And others that I would say pass peacefully. I've seen both when I say peacefully. And it always seems the ones that I've watched pass peacefully are the ones that have faith. Right. They have an understanding. Yeah. The ones that don't have faith obviously have a lot of fear. Right. So when you look at faith and fear, opposite end juxtaposition, can you address that? Because you cover this range of topics on spiritual and faith. And what do you hope that readers are going to gain from just that understanding itself? I, you know, I think when they when they read the book, and again, it's about my life story, but really it's about the miracles and God in my life. So so when you look back and you use, you use the words coincidence, luck, lucky, impossible, just think about those. Those could be the miracles that were in your life and that were you were intervened by God in um, that, that made a big change in your life. So, um, so, you know, God, it also shows clearly that God, God's still there. He's still doing miracles in my life. I mean, the pictures in the very beginning of the dedication, my, my grandmother died at 1031 at night. She had this clock that was sacred to her that they fixed and she got to hear the last chime at 1030 died at 1031. Well, two days later, it stopped at 1031. And then there was a stool in the guest bathroom that had a book on it next to the sink that um, had her glasses, a bookmark. She clearly had been in the book and was going to come back and read it. And the title was gone missing. So, you know, these, these small things, if you don't look, you don't see, and if you don't listen, you don't hear. So, um, you know, and I think uh, the other things in the book are, hopefully portrayed that you know christianity is about not judging um you know we're all people we all bleed the same uh, good uh artist out of sacramento actually mandisa sang with toby mack you know we all bleed the same so 
And then again, the last chapter with Ralph and just his finally finding faith, you know, in a, in a clear demonstration of, of his behavior. And he was a non-believer. Um, so it's just, you know, I think it's, um, that they gain that there's hope and that faith is one of the ways to that. Not, not, not all of it, but it's part of it for sure. Well, we do, we, we have had several authors on here that you were talking about the book open to a certain page and bookmarked and her glasses and call it signs and symbols. You know, for me, it's always been, and my people, my pe- listeners understand this. You know, I see one, 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 one all the time or one, 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 right? One. Right. So, so you go to a numerologist and say, so what does that, what does that mean for you? And it's about a rebirth and awakening, right? right? And I've noticed this in my car, on my phones, on my whatever for longest time. It just seems to be that I see it for some reason. I'm looking over just like you saw your grandmother with a book marked to 1031 and the page mark on the book. Uh, there are signs. If you're awake, uh, God has put them there, right? You may look up at a sign and see something that says stop. And, and you're, you say, thankfully you did, because if you had proceeded, you may have been in an accident, right? All these things that are working your behalf. And you say, one of the themes of the book is divine intervention. This is where we're going with this. Can you share a personal experience or story where you felt that God intervened in your life? I mean, you've got many in there, but yeah, let's just I, let's just pick out one of the one of the I'm, best. I'm, more, I'm already getting chills because it just uh, it, it was. Um, I do medical mission trips. I go to Honduras. Uh, we did one trip to a big hospital. Normally, it's an outpatient like surgery center or plastic surgeon's office type thing, um, full anesthesia. But this one was at a hospital. Uh, the Honduras had just fired half of all their healthcare givers. And these people, so they volunteered their time to be there for 21 surgeries that I found out what they were literally the day before. But I have to pack all my suture and all those things and guess, because I didn't have a list of what that was going to be. Then I did have a list the day before, but then that actually morphed the day we were there to a different list. So you got to be really flexible on these trips. But the very first case was a laparoscopic gallbladder removal in this lady. And um, I had someone that comes with me on the trip all the time, Jason Guzman, who was an EMT. And he would scrub in when we're doing the small procedures at the surgery center-like thing in um, Copan. But this one was big, and there was a circulating nurse. They were trained like all the nurses we have. They were watching us, and I realized he can't assist me on these cases. And I don't normally ask, um, you know, who's going to come on the trip and who's going to be with me that day in the operating room. But there's this lady named Leah, and I look at her, and and we walk outside, and I say, what do you do? And she says, well, I'm a cardiovascular scrub nurse. (laughs) I almost fell over because I'm like, that saved that trip. If we would have gone back in and Jason would have had to set up all the instruments, the sterile fields, we would have gone home. We would have been kicked out of the operating room. She's done this a million times. I looked at her and I said, thank you, God, because I didn't ask for you. You're here and you know how to do this. And I need you. I'm part of a team. I can't do, I can't be a quarterback without someone catching the ball. Or blocking for me so I don't get blindsided. Um, she began to cry. 
because she's never been treated that way. She's been treated with, you know, uh, they'd say prima donna cardiovascular surgeons that just treat her like, you know, junk. So that's the the first thing. So then we go in, we she sets up, we're going to do a laparoscopic procedure. Well, old school, I began, my training was half open, half half laparoscopic. So perfect time to be in residency. And, but it was old school. So they have this cotton sock that goes over the cord to the light and the, and the, um, and the, uh, camera. So it's sterile sock, but the inside's not the, the suction system was the same appliance that I would use back in America, but it was hooked, hooked to a shop vac, which was extremely loud. Oh, wow. And then the TV was not a 35 inch HD color TV, but a 13 inch color TV. And then the cautery, uh, was similar, uh, to what we would use. So all these things had to work. And then you have an insufflator that was probably first generation that, that showed you had flow. It gave you a pressure of the, of the, the belly that you're, you've got, a, got the flow going into with CO2. This was the miracle or the real miracle of that, that procedure. I, I look at it, I get to a point where I've got all those things working, the suction, the cautery, um, but I, I need 15 millimeters of mercury pressure in the belly. It stops at 12. I look at the, the insufflator and it's saying that we're out of gas. I look at the gigantic CO2 tank and it says zero. And I'm like, I literally, I just leaned over, prayed to myself. I look up, it's at 15. And I think, okay, I've got a backup plan. I can do it open like I was trained the first half of my residency if I have to. And so literally I operated on her for an hour and a half because she had the worst cirrhotic liver from hepatitis uh, virus and um, portal hypertension. So every, every little vein was gigantic. It was three times its normal size. So bleeding was a risk. And and there was a surgeon that was there from Honduras who wanted to see how this was done. I didn't know his level of training. He looked really young. I clearly learned that he he's never done one because they just didn't know how to set all this up. And so it was a perfect case for me to teach him how to get out of all these critical situations. So you get into a vein, you can grab it, cauterize it, and then getting the omentum, which is this kind of fatty apron that hangs off of the the colon that just wraps around things that are inflamed. It's kind of our watchdog of the abdomen. And, and I had to suck fluid out. I would rinse and then clear because you just, you go slow. So you don't injure things. And, um, somehow I still had CO2. I still had the pressure and literally. So at the end of the case, the scrub nurse comes over and says, I don't know how you did this. It's, it's an empty tank. And I even asked, do we have another tank? At the very beginning, they said, no, we do not have another one. So so I got done after an hour and a half, and I look around at the clock behind me, and it stopped at, there's a num- number, 7 o'clock, 7 after, on the seventh day of the month. <laughs> there you go. There's My divine God intervention. God was with me the whole yeah. time. Yeah, that that is a great story. And, you know, you you have so many stories like that in the book. and. One of the things you stress, Craig, is uh, the importance of community and our relationship to faith, you know, because your journey has really been about, um, I don't want to call calling on this, like yeah. you did, God, I would say, yeah. calling on faith 
to get you through obstacles, challenges, things in your life. And you speak with the listeners about why it's important for people to connect with uh, others in their spiritual journey. Because, you know, okay, you're, you're a man who believes in God. You're a man that prays to God. You're a man that follows the Bible. You're a Christian, right? Not everybody listening is. Right. But at the same time, we all have, many people have some faith. Right. Maybe, a, maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're Jews. Right. Maybe they're whatever they are. But the point is, is that we're all interconnected. Right. And you believe that this community of interconnection, because you are not biased toward just this one thing, you're just saying, have faith, don't doubt. Right. 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 So what would you tell people about this spiritual journey and how this can kind of reawaken them? Yeah, I think, you know, you've commented on community. I think COVID was a huge demonstration in risk benefit of not having community, of sheltering in, right? So uh, women between the ages of 23 to 45 had a six-fold increase in suicide. And depression, uh, you know, mental illness is hugely expanded in America from sheltering in. The kids in school are at least a year behind in math and a year and a half in English, and their social skills are probably two years behind. So it it doesn't help us not to gather. So that said, I mean, the, you know, Christian-wise, iron sharpens iron. So when I have questions or I'm not behaving, I start to judge people, which is what Christians are not supposed to do. And they do, some do. I mean, you see fights amongst Christians now. So, but, you know, um, gathering gives you support. Um it gives you the ability to pray for each other. The last chapter with Ralph, I mean, my getting on a knee and putting my hand on his leg and praying for him was profound to him. And it, 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 it walked him to the door for him to make a choice. Um, right. You, you know, know, and, and, and in biblically, you know, it's interesting. So it, Bibles is a good book just to study for an interest. If you don't have faith, you know, uh, Jesus talks about us being the body of, of, you know, the church, that he's the head and we're organs. And so the important point about that was, is that we are all the same, you know, we're, right. we're equal, but not all, all not all, we're, we're all equal, but not similar sometimes. Cause you know, I mean, we may be a kidney or an eye if we're doing the body analogy that's in the Bible, but you know, we can't function with, without one of those things. So we're each important to each other. Like you said, there's a relationship, whether it's spiritually or connected in other ways. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're, we were talking earlier about, you know, what's going on in our world and the battlefields, you know, just, you know, in Ukraine, well, we don't know if the person next to us is Christian or whatever, but if, you know, uh, if some bomb goes off and we need to help the fellow guy next to us, um, we're certainly not going to say, what's your religion, right? But what I am going to say is that in in times of struggle, people go to doubting their faith. And I want to address this because the, in, in all throughout history, people have gone through these heavy, uncertain times and uncertainty about their life and where it's going and all the change. And obviously, we're kind of programmed, most human beings, the species, 
is programmed not to want to change, right? There's resistance to change. Yeah, yeah, that's under logic, yeah. Yeah, it is is who we are. You know, it's uh, like the watchman's rattle. We almost wait until something catastrophic happens before we're actually going to make the change. So call it global warming, call it whatever you want, environmentalism, the things. Uh, the food famines that we're having in certain parts in Sudan and other areas, right? right. It's a challenge, right? Uh, the war in Ukraine. What would you say to somebody who's out there looking at all of this and maybe doubting, just doubting their faith? I think I think everybody faces doubt. I mean, I do. I do now. I mean, who am I to be on this platform, to be speaking here today? You know, I cheat because I, I have this title, Ed Milet, the, uh, read some poll of, you know, just having the MD after your name or DO gives you this pedestal, a six, you know, much higher trust in what we say. So uh, I'm not going to abuse that. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think we all faced out and, um, you know, especially in trials, like you said. So what I have found that works for me is that if the fight's bigger than I am, then I've got to turn to something. I can I can immediately and quickly and fix the things that I can, but the things that I can't aren't in my control. So go to someone that you think is. Pray for yourself. Pray for, you know, pray for other people. You know, one of the best anxiety, um, which probably stems from doubt when those people are feeling that, uh, thing to do is just pray for somebody serve somebody do something for somebody else that takes your mind off yourself so um yeah you know sometimes i would think as a surgeon you know when you look at triage and i don't know if you've been in any of those triage situations but i would think you have been yeah you know you've got to make a decision right and one of the decisions you're making is for many people between life and death who are the ones that we can save and who are the ones that we can't save and I know that's a hard one for people. It's a hard one because you're, you. I don't think you're doubting God, but you're actually hoping God is work, working through you to make the decision. Right. You know, right. who's to say it was that person's time? And I couldn't spend time trying to fix them to, to do that because I had somebody who was less uh, mangled and I spent time with them because I thought I could save them. Right. 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 Does does that weigh on you as a surgeon, or do you just go to God and ask for support? Uh, well, here's the way I work. So my prayer for myself is, please, God, give me the wisdom to do some, what I need to do quickly, the fortitude to carry it out, which just it also means not just the personal strength, but the physical strength, because you may be, I've operated for 36 hours before, straight with no break. So, um, and then the hands to do it. So, um, I think as a surgeon, there's a point at which you have to disconnect. Um, I, I think the, the, the times I've had to do that the most were in this one's in the book, uh, six year old, uh, in a motor vehicle uh, collision. And you just have to clear the mechanism and, um, do what you're trained to do. And then, but then when you pull that drape back and it's no longer just, uh, skin protruding through a paper drape, um, you break down, you know, uh, 
and I was asked that question actually when I was a medical student uh, by Dr. Fry. He's a renowned pancreatic surgeon. And he said his first question out of the box when I said I want to be a general surgeon was, How, what are you going to do when you lose a patient? And my answer was, I'll know the be- I did the best I could do on that day that I could do. And that's all you can do is just do your best. Yeah. And then, like I said, the parts that aren't in your hands, you know, pray to God that that's his will and what his will will be the will. So, and then take, take solace in that. It wasn't, you did all you could do and this is the way it turned out. And so this was bigger than me. Well, and, and, and there's certain beliefs and philosophies about, you know, Hey, look, it's been talked about eons when it's your time, it's your time. Who are we to say that that person who came in, that soul that came in, it wasn't time for that soul to exit, Um, that they'd come here to do what they were supposed to have done. Um, And they did it in that short six years or that short, you know, women who have babies that don't live very long at all. Right. We don't know. And I think if we start second guessing, that's a challenge. And you talk about the role of prayer is something you speak about in the book. And for my listeners who maybe are into different practices, you know, call it contemplation, call it meaningful prayer, contemplation practice, but to deepen your connection to some higher spirit or God, right? right. Um, what role has that played for you? And when have you found it the most um, helpful and meaningful in your own life. Um, Obviously you pray before you go into surgery and then you probably pray after you go out of surgery. Um, So what would you tell people who are listening today who don't have a regular practice of prayer or contemplation or anything? They just believe when you die, you die. That's it. I'm gone. <laughs> you know, the whole saying when I was a kid is you and I can't be that far different from age. It used to be the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, yep. <laughs> the worms crawl up your pinnacle snout. It's what it was. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Get a, a little one. brevity here. Do you remember yeah. that old one? Yeah, yep. that's that's yep. an old one. And I don't believe that. But I do believe there's a lot of people that walk around that do believe that. Right. And, and that's okay. That, that's, that's why God gave us, you know, free will, right? So there's no free will in the Bible. It's just the, the actions and, and what's, you know, a lot of the Bible story. So it's like we have the choice. I remember, man, this is a different subject, but actually it goes with prayer. So I was in a small, small group, uh, Bible study and, um, Dave, I'll call him, uh, was raised Jewish. And he had this epiphany that, oh my gosh, I can, I can talk to God through prayer. I mean, he's just the the Jewish religion doesn't really know that per se. So, and that's what's cool about learning other religions. I mean, half of what we read is maybe not even that, but Old Testament. You know, the first first books of the of the Bible. So, um, it's good to get outside that stuff and listen to people, but. Um, and, and then for me, prayer or whether you're meditating, um, I think, you know, and I think the science supports this, the whole alpha beta waves of your brain and 
first thing in the morning when you're not distracted by social media, your phone, the kids trying to get you to make lunches for school or driving or whatever, find the quiet time. And then you can internally, you know, examine yourself and pray and communicate. And then you can listen better and hear better if you get messages back. Right. So people in the Bible um, have the Holy Spirit. People of faith have the Holy Spirit. From that Holy Spirit, people have gifts. And so, you know, that's, geez, when we got to to Georgia here, we were looking for a church and we went to a Pentecostal church and, oh, okay, I'm not used to that. I'm used to, I mean, Reading has a big Pentecostal church and they've kind of come under a lot of scrutiny, right? But it's biblical. I mean, the gift of tongues, the gift of of prophecy, healing, all those things, uh, they're in the Bible, so they exist. It's just how do you get to those things? And they're a gift from the Holy Spirit. So, well, I think for the listeners, though, um, you know, Craig, you pray, but it's not one directional. You're asking for it to be reciprocated to come back, right? Right. And I think when people don't receive the message, that's when doubt comes in. It's like, well, is there a God up there? Is he listening? I'm not hearing. I'm not getting a response. I'm not getting whatever you want to call it, intuitive hit, I, I I didn't get anything. But you have to move beyond that. You have to keep the practice because, as I think any Christian would say, it's about your faith to continue that until you do hear the words of God. Right. 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 right, right? Because it's yeah, not think, like uh, he, if it is, let's say, he, she, whatever we're going to refer to it is, this, this, uh, I know, you know, um, when I was a kid, it was now I lay me down to sleep. You know, that was yes. my prayer on the side of my bed with on my knees before I got in bed every night. Right. But I'm not certain I always heard anything back. Right. Right. I, it, it always seemed one directional. And time you start to question that. You're like, well, geez, why am I saying this prayer every night? You know, as a kid. Right. Right. So, what would yeah. you would you have? What would you tell people out there that are that are doing that and and maybe not getting the message back? Uh, here's what I would say. So, faith faith is is a verb. It's an action, right? So, and and uh, if if you want to feel that spirit, be in line in a car or line in the in the store of a Starbucks. And buy the coffee for the person behind you. Don't, don't, I mean, it'd be fun to watch them, but you don't have to. Um, but just, you get this warmth in your body. So, and then just give them a little prayer. Hey, have a great day. Please, you know, whatever you want to say, something positive, something kind. Um, well, that's, that's a great, I, I love what you just said, you know, pay it forward. You know, yeah, in other words, like I go pay somebody's toll at the toll road or, um, right. you know, pay for someone for a cup of coffee or buy them a meal or whatever it might be. Those are small, insignificant things, but make you feel good because of compassion. And I think compassion, we know because there's been tons of studies done at all the various universities on um, the oxytocins that are released as a result of being compassionate. Uh, we know when we give, period, give, that's important. And that brings me to forgiveness. A lot of people hold grudges 
You know, it's like, ah, oh, that person did that to me. I can't, I'm never going to forgive them. Right. Yep. And the only person we know, Craig, it's hurting is the person who's holding the grudge. But right. you and I know that. But how can you help people practice forgiveness in their daily lives? And what are some of the benefits you've gotten as a result of your compassion and forgiveness for others? So here's my analogy of forgiveness and hurt and pain. So let's just say you have a really big hurt. So let's say it's a stone and you're carrying a backpack and you put that stone in your backpack. You're now carrying that weight. It's maybe at one stone. It's not that bad. You could, but the more things you go through your life, the more hurt, the more stones you carry, the bigger that backpack gets. And eventually at some point it's going to be unmanageable. So the key is, is you need to get that backpack off stone by stone. So pick the smallest, you know, and just forgive whatever that hurt is and um, take that stone out. Even though it's a small, insignificant weight, it, it may have been the straw that broke the camel's back. And now you can be more functional and go, hey, that was good. I'm going to do it again with this stone and that stone and then get them all out of there. And I think the way to do that is empathy. So my dad would call it the three-step rule. So let's say I'm standing in front of you and I make a very insulting comment. The first thing the other person wants to do is just swing at me, right? So get physical and violent and, and attack. But let's say that person were to take one step back. Well, the first step was just to swing. The second step is they take a step back and go, okay, why do I? Why did I feel that way that I got so angry that I wanted to hurt somebody? And then the third step is to go, Okay, why did that person say that to me to make me so angry? So what are they going through that they are trying to hurt me? When you can get to that empathic state, then, you know, you're going to hear something that you didn't know. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. And it's going to take away that hurt. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people. I remember going to some weekend retreat. um, Art of Living was the name of it. And there was an ER group, like five people that had for 20 years this misunderstanding about what really went on. And when it was discussed in an open forum in front of 20 other people, they, the confusion and the, the, the lack of knowledge was dissipated and the whole thing disappeared. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's why that, that makes more sense. So, you know, I think being an empath or just trying to put yourself in other people's shoes helps a lot. Yeah, and it as as you said, that example that you used about the surgical team or whatever created clarity. You know, I think a lot of the misunderstanding comes about what somebody says or doesn't say, and then it becomes implied, and then you have this you have a feeling of um, of regret, um, no matter what it was. You know, you may have said something wrong yourself, uh, and somebody took it wrong. Like it, it does happen frequently in our communications as human beings. And the key there is to have an open dialogue and be open to doing that to clear, clear the air. I know when I was getting my degree in spiritual psychology, people we were having challenges with, and I repeat this a lot is that, you know, I would journal and I wouldn't read what I wrote in the journal and I burned the journal. And then what I would do is I'd keep a picture of the person that I was being challenged by the communication on my desk. And I would send a prayer to them twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. And you'd be surprised how the small act of keeping a picture of somebody 
who you are being challenged by in front of you and looking at them and sending them a prayer of kindness or whatever, how that healed you, right? Very simple little step. Um, You know, you you talk about living in the present moment. You know, that's uh, very much a Buddhist concept, but I think that's a concept from a lot of uh, faiths to live in the present moment. Um, Eckhart Tolle is probably one of the most uh, prolific writers on that idea. What ideas do you have for helping listeners cultivate mindfulness and living in the present moment? Because as a a surgeon, uh, every time you walk into the surgery uh, room, you know, you're literally have to stay present. Right. You know, you can't let, you can't let a distraction of a noise or something distract you. You literally have to be totally focused. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. A lot of noise to my brain uh, makes me not able to hear well. So if people are talking, but when I'm in the OR, I'm listening to the EKG, the the blip, the heart rate, the pulse ox has a tone to it, not only a tone, but a, a, a higher pitch. If it's, you know, you're becoming less oxygenated, um, whether the anesthesiologist is moving around, what's going on up there. What, what, what. So I'm in tune with the whole room, the, the scrub nurse, what they're doing, the circulator. Um, yeah, it's pretty profound. But um, What about these surgery centers where you see them on TV and they've got the surgeons and they're playing a boom box with music? And, <laughs> you see, we, well, is that really real all, or is that? No, that's <laughs> real. That's real. Yeah. So, and, but the surgeon doesn't have any choice. I'm scrubbed in. So it's anesthesia that, that picks the music. Yeah. Uh, so you get to pick the music. So maybe you're going to listen to Mozart or maybe you're going yeah, to listen yeah, to Or, or actually, one patient I did in residency that was under local and she was Native American. And so she wanted her cultural music. So it was this bump, 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 bump the whole time. And I felt like, you know, I'd take the knife and it felt like a tomahawk. And yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> it is. It, but, it, it yeah. You know, I, I have seen so many reenactments or shows where, you know, the, the surgeons will, they'll, they'll, they'll pray and then they'll turn on the music after they pray. Right. And uh, it always it didn't surprise me because I think most of that music can be quite calming if you're yeah. choosing the right music and you have the right people in the room with you that are OK with with. All right. We're going to play jazz today, but it's going to going to be light jazz. Right. But I, yeah. I do believe that is something that can help you get focus if you're OK with it. I know you said you were ADHD and I know sometimes when somebody is ADHD, um, music can either have a really positive effect. Or it can have the opposite effect, which is a distraction. Um, and I and I assume you've learned how to deal with all of that. Yes. You know, stay yeah, present. Yeah. 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 Well, look, your book is filled with great stories. It's filled with advice for the readers. Uh, this is the book, everybody. Saved. We're going to have this book up on a link to Amazon. We're also going to have a link to Craig's website. But... What do you hope the readers are going to take away from SAVE? And what advice would you have for someone who is, I don't want to call beginning their spiritual journey. Hey, how about exploring the various ways that they could actually bring more spirituality into their life? Because I think what happens is it gets inserted, Craig, 
and then maybe it leaves and then it comes back in again and it leaves. It's kind of like um, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, right? right? So most of us are living that hero's journey. We're going out on a quest. Um, a bad guy comes along. We We have to learn how to deal with it. And somebody comes along and saves us in the end and right. you get it, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, that story has been told many times, but so what would you tell people right now that are on that kind of spiritual quest? Right. So, I mean, I would say, I think the book's going to show you that life is short. There are, there are, there are stories in the, in the book that, you know, one of them is Jason and time. So specifically about time, which I think is our, our greatest gift, right? So, um, you can't get time back. So, and then just that there are miracles in, in your life, look for them. Then, and then that improves your spirituality because then you know there's a higher power. Um, and it gives you hope, right? So, so another part of the book I'm hoping people get is that hope that, that we're all, you know, people that bleed, we unity so that we're not fighting. Um, you know, I think back to my college days of the late nights hanging with a bunch of other students and talking about, atom bombs and all sorts of social issues and no one judging, you know, we just spoke our minds and, and listened to each other. And then, and then I think the practicality, you know, faith being a verb. So getting out there and serving people, you know, just um, find your gifts, your God given gifts or higher power gifts, some talent that, that you're, you're great at make that a purpose or, and then a passion and, uh, you know, inspiration and motivation is short passions are longer and then and then use those to to better yourself better mankind um you know personal growth so well and i love what you said on our pre-interview about your sons being in boy scouts and i'm going to take this as an opportunity to talk just a tad about compassionate communications and the work that we're doing with the homeless you know you you were talking about how the boy scouts had a program that went out when your sons went out and you bagged up food and you went out yeah. to give food away. And I think the good lessons that young teenagers learn or even preteen by doing something like that is it starts to actually uh, get them to understand the good feelings that occur from that kind of activity. It isn't all about me, 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 you know, my cell phone, my iPad, right. my this, my that. It's about we and how we can make a difference. And I see that in everything that you say and everything you do in this book. You know, this is really a book for people that are on the journey um, from the I to the we. Um, It's for those people that want to wake up and want to share their gifts and talents with the world. Um, That people like Craig, who have helped and served thousands of people heal and in the process as you can see craig has healed as a human being and what i would invite all my listeners to do is pick up a copy of this book go to craig there we'll have it.net to learn more about craig and there's also a couple of qr codes in the front of the book that go to videos and so I would encourage you when you pick this up right on, I forget what page they're on, Craig, but they're there. Yeah, they're the front. Uh, yeah. They're right in the front of the book. Um, and it's a great opportunity. It's um, 
The email address for Craig is Craig at four Thayers, T-H-A-Y-E-R-S dot com. Um, and you can also, one of those links go to, goes to his Facebook page as well. So Craig, blessings to you. Thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing your experiences as a surgeon, but also your experiences in your connectivity with spirit, God, faith, uh, to help others realize that there is hope, right? There is lots of hope. Yeah. Um, Don't get down. Don't get depressed. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's just a blessing that I'm here to share what I've seen, know, and believe. And um, people have questions, you know, email me. Yeah, definitely email me. Get a hold of me, yeah. Get in touch with him. Craig, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.